Welcome to this new nutrition business podcast. My name is Julian Melanton, and today I'm going to talk to you about the secret history of plant milks. And we're going to talk about how the business got to be as big as it is, but also how the US dairy industry figured out how to compete so successfully that just a few years from now, sales of lactose-free cow's milk will be bigger than sales of plant milks. So what do we mean by plant milks? Well, you're all familiar with them. You've seen them in the supermarket. These are drinks that are sold as an alternative to cow's milk, and they're based on ingredients like soy, almond, oats, and all kinds of nuts. And they're sold for people who want something a bit like cow's milk to use in their drinks or their cooking, but who want to avoid any lactose in their diet, which makes them feel bad. Most of you, at some time or other, will have seen in the media or heard someone say in a presentation that plant milks are mainstream, that they are taking over from cow's milk, and that the future of dairy lies in plant milks. Today, I'm going to take a short tour around some facts, because the inconvenient truth is that none of those statements are truths. Now, I'm going to use the US market as the case study for understanding this. And it's a really good case study because it's the original market for plant milks. It's where soy milk, as people consume it in the West, was invented. It's where almond milk was invented. And it's also the market where the dairy industry figured out how to produce a competing cow's milk-based product that has done so well that in 2019 it was selling faster than plant milks. And if you look at the supermarket sales data, so well was lactose-free cow's milk selling that by 2025 it will be a bigger business than all the plant milks put together. So to tell this story, we're going to have a little walk through history. Now, in the food and drink industry, people are actually often quite bad at understanding the history of how we got to where we are, but it's always worth thinking about. And we're going to start back in the 1970s, in the town of Boulder, Colorado. Now, I don't know whether any of you have been to Boulder, Colorado, but it sits at the foot of the Rocky Mountains. It's a beautiful city. It's got lots of great reasons to go there, especially if you like mountain biking or skiing. But it's also one of the centres of the health and wellness movement. And many um, brands with a health and wellness proposition, they're on the market today, certainly many ideas, came from Boulder, Colorado. It's probably, along with Southern California, one of the two most creative places in the United States, historically. Now, in Boulder, Colorado, in the early 1970s, there was a young guy called Steve Demos, who owned a health food store. And he had customers who came into his health food store who couldn't consume cow's milk because it gave them digestive discomfort of one type or another. So at the back of his store, he began grinding up soybeans and mixing them with water, and he created something that they could drink and use in place of cow's milk in some drinks and in cooking. The soy milks he made were popular, sales went up, and he decided to sell them in other health food stores. So he created a brand called Silk. And the silk brand still exists. It's one of the two biggest plant milk brands in the United States to this day. But Steve Demos wasn't to know that back then. So he set about selling his soy milks, mostly in health food stores, on the open shelf 
really targeting people who were lactose intolerant, so people who kind of had a sort of medicalised problem. By the early 1990s, Steve Demos had an idea, and that idea was to normalise soy milk. And what, what did he do? So he teamed up with a dairy company, and the dairy company agreed to make the soy milk, and that actually makes perfect sense because everything technologically in a, a dairy plant is what you need to produce a plant-based milk. And this milk was then sold in a normal milk carton in the chiller cabinet in regular supermarkets alongside the regular milk. So this made it much easier for a bigger number of people to choose soy milk when they went shopping. You didn't have to make a special journey to a faraway part of the store and select something for people with lactose intolerance from you know, the special health food section. So this was a really important step in normalising plant milks. And pretty much everything else that's happened to drive the market forward really stems from that one strategic decision back in the early 1990s. On the back of this, Steve Demos built up a very successful business. And by the time you get to about 2006-07, the silk soy milk business had sales of perhaps $300 million a year, uh, and there were other brands in the space as well. So having done very well and worked very hard for many years, Steve Demos sold silk, left the industry, and went on to do lots of other successful entrepreneurial things with his life. Soy milk sold in the chiller cabinet in the regular supermarket was an innovation. But around 2006-07, another innovation came along, which was to have an even bigger effect on driving growth in demand for plant milks. And that was the advent of almond milk. Now, we're all familiar with California as a hotbed of innovation, whether that's Silicon Valley or all the tiny entrepreneurial food companies of Southern California. And one of the really good sources of innovation in food in California has been the California Almond Board. And they operate at a place probably about an hour's drive east of Silicon Valley. Starting in the mid-1990s, the California Almond Board had done a great job researching the intrinsic and natural health benefits of the humble almond. They'd also worked closely with um, a group called Blue Diamond, which was a cooperative of almond growers, to take that knowledge and take almonds from being just a snack nut into an ingredient in lots of other forms, such as crackers, chips, um, an ingredient in confectionery, and really popularised almond in a way that had never happened before. And one of the things that Blue Diamond and the Almond Board did was they came up with a drink based on almonds, which looked just like milk. So they took their drink, they packaged it in a milk carton, they put it in the chiller section of the supermarket, launch it around 2006 or 7 as an alternative to soy, and of course as an alternative to cow's milk, for people who want a milk-like substance without any of the digestive problems that cow's milk gives some people. It was an immediate and massive success. And the main reason why almond milk was an immediate success was because it tasted way, way better than soy milk did. Soy milk had slightly grassy taste and a beany taste, and that really limited its appeal. It wasn't as if lots of, lots of mainstream consumers could choose it, you really had to be quite dedicated to look for something because you had a serious digestive problem. So almond milk was a step change in the consumer's experience of plant milks, 
and it made buying plant milks a whole lot more accessible to a lot more people. Blue Diamond, who I mentioned a few minutes ago, they didn't do this by themselves. They created the category, but almost immediately, Silk, who'd been specialised pretty much in soy milks, realised it was an opportunity. And it became a very pressing opportunity because one of the things that started to happen was that people who were buying soy milk stopped buying it and switched to almond milk. So sales of soy milk began to decline from about 2007 and today are probably about a third of what they used to be back then. Silk sales of almond milk went pretty well and they probably have about half of that market alongside Blue Diamond. Silk actually belonged to a dairy company for many years and in 2017 or thereabouts it was bought by Danone, the French dairy giant. It's probably one of the top 10 dairy companies in the world. So Danone sells plant milks under the Silk brand in the United States and in Asia and under the Allpro brand in Europe. So ironically enough the world's biggest producer of plant milks is in fact a dairy company. By 2019 the total US plant milk market was worth about $2 billion at retail. Almond accounted for $1.4 billion of that. There was a whole lot of other plant milks based on cashew, coconut, oat and a whole lot of other things and they had combined sales of $600 million. Lots of companies had introduced other plant milks thinking they could challenge Almond but they never really succeeded and it was simply because the taste experience that people got from Almond was so much better it was unattractive really to switch to any of the others. So that's a big factor in Almond's continuing success. Now the dairy producers who still sell by the way more than $13 billion worth of cow's milk seeing this shift towards plant milks were alarmed about what it meant for their future. Now one of the primary reasons that people buy plant milks is to have something that doesn't give them any digestive discomfort. So they're looking for something that's free of lactose. The US had always had lactose-free milks but they hadn't necessarily performed very well on taste nor had they been marketed very well. All of that was changed by a company called Fair Oak Farms. Fair Oak Farms launched a product back in 2015 called Fairlife. It was a lactose-free milk and it was produced very simply just by ultra-filtering the milk. And when you do that process it takes out the lactose, so that's great, the product can sell itself on its lactose-free benefits. And when you take out the lactose that means you dramatically lower the sugar content and that's something else that everyone is looking for, is less sugar in their diet. And it also concentrates the protein. So there's a message there too about it being higher in protein than regular milks. So there's three things that consumers were looking for. Less lactose, less sugar and more protein. Protein is after all the nutrient that can do no wrong in many people's minds. The other advantage Fairlife had was that it tasted good. Just like Almond before it, it gave a step change in the customer's experience of a lactose-free product and this caused its sales to absolutely take off. Fairlife's advantages, taste, lactose-free, low sugar, high in protein. Other dairies quickly copied the idea and by the time you get to 2019 total sales of lactose-free milk in the United States were 1.4 billion dollars. Very impressive. Almond milk also had sales of 
$1.4 billion. And this is not something you hear very often. We're told all the time about how revolutionary plant milks are, how they're a great disruptor, but the dairy industry has managed to keep up. Now you'll find no shortage of people telling you that the reason plant milks have grown and will keep growing is because consumers want more plants. Well, it's a little bit more complicated than that. The primary reason for the plant milk market growing was people who found they had digestive discomfort when they consumed regular milk and they looked around for an alternative. It's the same reason that lactose-free cow's milk has grown. People looking around for a solution to their digestive discomfort. If plants was the primary motivation, you wouldn't expect to see lactose-free cow's milk catching up with almond milk. And it's also worth bearing in mind that consumers have been telling us for the past 20 years they want to get their health benefits from foods that are as natural as possible. So if you're looking for a lactose-free drink and you've got two products side by side on the shelf, one of which is pretty simple to understand and has one ingredient and is called milk, and another one that has 20 ingredients maybe, 25, and looks like it's being composed and processed in a factory, an awful lot of people will choose the natural alternative. It's similar to the reasoning that's caused people to switch to butter instead of margarine. Margarine was presented as the healthy alternative, and that's what we all believed for a long time. Butter has seen its image improve as people lose their fear of fat, but it's also got that advantage of being good tasting and natural and simple. So it's no surprise that margarine sales have been declining for years to such an extent that Unilever has even sold its margarine business while butter sales have risen. And in 2019, butter hit record levels of sales. So this is a really important part of the psychology of how people think they do like things to be as natural as possible. So just to finish with our American case study, in 2019, sales of plant milks in the United States were $2 billion, and that's from the best possible source, IRI, who they collect actual supermarket data, and the growth rate in that year was 5.5%. Sales of lactose-free cow's milk, competing with plant milks, were $1.4 billion. That's exactly the same level of sales as the almond milk part of the plant milk market. But the growth rate for lactose-free cow's milk was 11.9%, almost double that for the plant milks. What that means in practice is if you look at the amount of extra dollars Americans were spending in this area, the increase in spending on lactose-free milks in 2019 by Americans was an extra $149 million. The actual extra spending on plant milks in 2019 compared to the year before was $106 million, a smaller number. So you can see, if the extra spending continues at this rate, how within four or five years sales of lactose-free cow's milk will catch up with sales of plant milks and may even outsell them. Now I know $2 billion sounds like a big number for the plant milk market, but just to put that into context, total sales of cow's milk in 2019 were over $13 billion. Plant milks sell at a 100% premium to cow's milk. So in terms of market share, the value 
share of plant milks was about 13 or 14 percent and the volume share was about seven percent. Now I don't know about you but when it comes to looking at markets if a concept if a product has about a seven percent market share that's not mainstream that's niche. It's a big niche but it's still a niche. Most people are still not buying plant milks. Now some of you will be thinking but I see plant milks occupying lots of space in the supermarket. Surely they must be selling a lot to have so much shelf space given over to them. And supermarkets do give prominence to plant milks alongside cow's milk. But the simple reason for that is that the cash margin that a supermarket gets for plant milks is way way higher than it gets for cow's milk. Cow's milk is a barely makes much profit type of business. Certainly it doesn't make much money for farmers, it doesn't make a great deal for processors and it's not a very flash number for retailers either. Plant milks have much better margins and are much more profitable so if you're a retailer you're going to make sure you give a lot of space to something that gives you a really good price per square foot or price per square meter and gives you good margin even if the volume sold is small you'll get a lot more money for that tiny volume than from the, the cow's milks. The US market plant milks have the highest penetration with about 7% volume share 14% value share but it's a similar picture or smaller in most other countries. In the UK market for example plant milks which get lots of positive media attention have about 7% or 8% market share by value but about 4% by volume. In other words it's an even smaller niche. It doesn't matter how many packages you see on the shelf the facts of how many litres of milk people actually buy speak for themselves. And the growth rate of plant milks in the US, in the UK and most other countries is slowing down. The days of really high growth appear to be coming to an end. What's more, as more and more dairy companies figure out how to supply good tasting lactose-free milk and present themselves as competitors with a more natural product with fewer ingredients we can expect to see the high rolling days of plant milks slowly come to an end and that market will settle down to being a big niche business nothing wrong with that which grows somewhat maybe one or two percent a year but it's no longer going to be the transformative disruptive game-changing whatever buzzword you want to use opportunity which some people still present it as being. It was a game changer 10 years ago but it isn't anymore. Now some of you will be saying but what about oat milk? I've heard that's going really well and didn't Oprah Winfrey and a whole lot of other people just invest 200 million dollars behind one oat milk brand? But this is another instance in which the facts don't tie up with what the media likes to tell you. So using the US market as our case study again oat milk was a teeny tiny niche until about two years ago. A brand from Sweden called Oatly which has been around for 20 years did a fantastic job getting its oat milk into coffee shops and oat milk seems to perform really well when it comes to making coffee foam. And Oatly is also a company that's really good at marketing and communications and drawing attention to itself. 2019 was a bit of a red letter year for oat milk. Sales grew from 11 million dollars to about 85 million dollars so that's a big jump in the space of 12 months. So oat milk increased by 74 million dollars or thereabouts 
between 18 and 19. However, it didn't take business away from cow's milk, because simultaneously, sales of some other plant milks fell by $75 million. Cashew nut milk fell. Rice milk fell. Soy milk fell. Coconut milk fell. Oat milk didn't take business away from cow's milk. It took business away from all those plant milks that just didn't perform so well on taste. Oat milk sales will almost certainly continue growing. It's got a nice, naturally healthy halo around the oat. It tastes good, it performs well in coffee, and now it's got a whole lot of rocket fuel behind it in terms of money from investors to grow that business. But it's just possible that it, what it will do is take business away from the less natural, less good tasting plant milks before it starts to erode regular cow's milk, if it ever does. So just to recap, plant milks have been around since the 1970s. The big growth of recent years really came from almond milk, providing a huge improvement in taste and making it so much easier for people to choose almond milk in preference to anything else. The key consumer motivation for purchase always has been digestive wellness. When lactose-free cow's milk came along, it eroded that competitive advantage, and that's one of the reasons why lactose-free cow's milk has done so well, catching up with almond milk, and likely to outsell plant milks four or five years from now. For many people, lactose-free cow's milk will remain the choice, because it competes well on the idea of naturalness as compared to something that's been formulated in a factory. Some of you might say, well, what about sustainability? Well, if you search on the internet, there's lots of different opinions and lots of information about sustainability that has been a selling point for plant milks, but many consumers are aware that the dairy industry is doing a good job improving its sustainability credentials with things like regenerative agriculture, which actually now shows up in consumer research, grass-fed, and working to make pasture into carbon sinks. So the consumer looks around and they will form their own opinion. And some will decide that plant milks are a better sustainable choice, and some will decide that cow's milk is still a perfectly good sustainable choice. In fact, it may not be cow's milk that's at risk, because if you look online, you'll find there are plenty of criticisms from within the mainstream media about almonds in relation to the water supply, or water shortages, I should say, in California. And you can even find articles talking about the problem of pollination of almond flowers and what one media source called the bee apocalypse. So almonds sustainability halo is also coming under attack. Interestingly, that might actually open the door somewhat for oat, which doesn't yet seem to have any of those sorts of questions about it. Who knows, perhaps oat might also take some business away from almond. Some of you will be thinking, but what about plants? Isn't it just that people want more plants in their diet? Well, people who know about plants are generally savvy enough to figure out that there isn't much by way of actual plants in most plant milks. There's maybe 10 almonds in a litre of almond milk. So if you're looking for actual plant benefits, you're going to get those from a food perhaps, but not from a drink that's mostly water that has an extremely small plant component. And don't forget, people in the plant milk business want to build that plant's halo around themselves. They don't really want people to figure out that what really underlies that market is digestive wellness and people's desire 
to have something that makes them feel good inside. I don't know why they fear that. Maybe they perceive that as being a niche. But you know what? It is a niche. 7% volume share in the United States. Less in other countries. That's the niche they're in. It will grow, but it's under increasing competition from cow's milk that offers the same digestive wellness benefit. The plant milk market was, is, surrounded by a whole lot of mythology and for anyone who's in the dairy industry, fear. I hope you've enjoyed listening to some of the figures and the little history today. It's going to be a market in which in the future you go into the supermarket and the majority of what's on sale will still be cow's milk. Quite a bit of it lactose free. And there'll be an almond milk section and an oat milk section and they will be niche businesses just as they are today. Thank you for listening to this podcast and we hope you enjoy listening to some of the other ones that we have.